So it's amazing that you're in this series about, oh, my soul, because that is exactly what God was ministering to me about when I was here with you the first time. Um, So you can go ahead and begin the recording. Um, The verse that God gave me as I I came here this morning is from 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 16, verse 7. Um, In this context, Samuel has come to find the person that God is anointing to be the king. And people have assumptions about who would be good and and who is best and who is most fitted. Um, But God spoke to Samuel and he said, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that is so much a part of my story, realizing that it wasn't about all the things that I could do for God or all of the titles or positions or um, qualifications that I could develop, but really it's about God's view of us and our hearts. And so I want to talk today about how God does see us and how he looks at our heart and what God has done in my heart. Um, I grew up as a preacher's kid. My dad was a pastor, and so from a very young age, I knew about Jesus, and I remember uh, when I prayed and asked Jesus to, to take my life, and this work that he did in me is eternal, and I am seeing how he has been so faithful through everything that I have experienced, through everything that I have misunderstood, through the false identities that I have had, that he has been faithful to what he did and what he promised and the work that Jesus has done. Um, so there's actually a, a slide that I want to show you. And this slide, it was so interesting to me when I um, saw this uh, ministry called Grace Ministries um, published this. But when I saw it, it was so interesting to me because for years now, um, when I was talking with students, I've drawn three circles and arrows and tried to explain on napkins and whiteboards or wherever I was. But there's this image of um, three circles and the outside one is representing our body. And then um, pretty much everyone, Christian or not, agrees we have a body. We also know that we have this soul experience, that we have thoughts and we have emotions and we make choices. And what Jesus and his word tells us is there's there's more to us than just our bodies, more to us than just the thoughts that we have and the, the things that we feel, the choices that we have made. But that actually he has designed us that the truth is we are a spirit who has a soul that lives in a body. And God's design is that his spirit would be joined together with ours, and that would be the source of our lives. Unfortunately, however, uh, even growing up in a Christian environment, even having a relationship with Jesus from a young age, I didn't really understand what he wanted to do in my life. And so there's another slide. And what happens very often is that instead of living with the spirit being the overflow of life, we, we look at the outside and we focus on what our body sees and what we sense and what we feel from what's going on around us. And we begin to live from the outside in instead of from the inside out. And... Um, 
living by what we see on the outside separates us from what God has for us, separates us from, from the life that is available to us. Um, so really, that's the story of humanity. When Eve was in the garden and there was a tree of life, there was also this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she looked at the fruit and it seemed good to her. She focused on what she saw on the outside And chose to go that way, chose to go by what she saw, by what she thought, by what seemed good to her, instead of staying with the God who was the source of her life. And I did the same thing. I did the same thing. As a child, my strategy in life, my outside way of living as a preacher's kid was to be a goody two-shoes. Like, I was trying always to look perfect and do everything perfectly. And um, if my sister were here today, she could tell you that it was definitely an outside thing and not from the heart. Um, My parents were so good. They loved the Lord so much, but they too had so many struggles, so many things that that they didn't have the answers to. And and I think maybe they felt some of that pressure as pastors to make sure that the outside was okay. And the reality is that as we focused so much on the outside, there really wasn't the, the space and the opportunity for God to do the healing work that he wanted to do on the inside. Even in that song, it said... Um, with all that is within me, I give you praise. And I realized that so much of my life I had been segmented, that I was only really had access to part of all that God had designed me to be because I was so focused on the outside. So my parents would fight sometimes at home, and I, I think that's probably not the most uncommon thing. But my response to that as a small child was fear, I remember hiding in my bedroom because they were fighting in the other room. And I remember the feeling that I had at that time. And I can't tell you the words that I thought, but looking back over my life, I can see that as I focused on this situation, I thought, well, my dad is very good. My mom is very upset. I guess it's my fault. I must be the problem. And I felt this shame Maybe I've caused these problems, or maybe I'm just not enough to fix these problems. And I carried this burden of trying to control the world outside of me. So as I focused on the outside and tried to look perfect and tried to manage so that people around me felt very good, I took on a burden that I was never meant to carry, that God never gave to us to manage the emotions of other people and even to manage and control and suppress our own emotions. I decided that uh, if my parents were upset, I didn't need to add to that. So I tried to hide my own emotions. I decided that anger causes people to be hurt, so I should never be angry. And I just made all of these decisions almost unconsciously as I was focused on the outside instead of on what God was doing and able to do on the inside. Romans 8, 5 and 6 says, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
When I was in college, uh, our university ministry went on a trip to another country. And when we were there, it was Palm Sunday. And the pastor was speaking about the cross and the relationship between the people who were there at the foot of the cross and Jesus. And as I listened to that message, now all of these years later, still carrying that shame, still believing that I wasn't enough. Um, And because I believed deeply that I was not really enough, I worked so hard to make the outside look good. I worked so hard to always help everyone and meet everybody's need. If I serve people enough, surely they'll think they need me and they won't leave me. And with that pressure, I had gone to college and really had experienced kind of this cycle of depression. I would be so depressed because the burden was so much and there were so many emotions that were undealt with. And in London, in this church, hearing about the cross that I know so much about, something happened on the inside of me. I heard just God speak to me. It was just this thought in my mind that I knew was not my thought. God was speaking to me. He said, you are mine, and that's enough. And I wept and wept for 40 minutes, ugly cry, wept. And my friends, the people from my campus ministry, they all said, what is wrong? And um, because they'd never seen me upset, because I was always happy, always smiling, always helping. Um, But the truth was, it seemed that for the first time in my entire life, nothing was wrong. Because Jesus had accepted me. Because I was his and that was enough. And it felt like all the pressure of the universe had just been broken off of me. And I stood there free. I wish that I could tell you that from that moment I lived from the inside out, allowing God's spirit to to flow through me. But really, I think what I did is I said, thank you so much, Jesus. I've got it from here. I'll do better now. And so instead of having this sort of um, negatively conditioned, insecure flesh pattern of just trying to please everybody and cover up this shame, now I was confident. Now I did all of these things believing I'm good because Jesus said I'm good. And so I'm going to do all of these things. And I continued living from the flesh, living from the outside, even though God had done such a miracle inside of me. Ever so gracefully, though, I believe that it's almost as though God has walked me through the valley of the shadow of death. And in these moments, in these difficult times, uh, over the past five or six years especially, God has taking those kind of outside anchors, the things that I thought would steady my soul, and either through what has just happened or maybe through God's intentionality, God has allowed each one of those things to be removed so that finally I found there's nothing else that I can hope in. Um, I, in this cycle of just living out of my own strength and out of my own ability and trying to manage the perceptions of others and the expectations of others and pleasing everyone. And then I 
I had some big things that happened. Um, my mom passed away six years ago. And when that happened, um, there was this grace, this incredible grace that heaven truly is real and that, that my mom is alive and, and freer than she has ever been. There is this grace but really, because of the way I was living, I wasn't able to fully process through the grief of that. My goal was to get over it as quickly as I could because heaven's real. Mom's fine. I should be fine. So I couldn't experience the depth of what God wanted to do. Really knowing from the core that grief is real and God is present with us. In those moments, Jesus walked among us and he felt the things that we feel. He was touched with all the weakness and and infirmity that we have. But I couldn't experience that fully because I wouldn't allow myself to experience the grief. I wouldn't allow myself to process through the anger of such a big and difficult change in my life. Because I had decided I will never be angry. And, and managed somehow to hide anger from myself for so long. Then I moved to another country, and I experienced culture shock in all of its glory. And um, all of these things, as I was focusing on the outside and trying to carry these heavy burdens, they finally became too much. And uh, a couple of years ago, I started to have panic attacks. And... I really think that that was a couple of different things. Just to explain my experience, part of it was almost like a volcano. There was so much stuff down inside that it couldn't stay anymore, and it was starting to to just erupt. And um, this anxiousness that I felt, it's because there was so much emotion, um, so much that needed to be dealt with that God has totally the ability to work with me through that the family of God could provide the support and comfort along with what Jesus was doing but I was hiding it all and stuffing it all and and so this anxiousness was almost like a sensor saying there's something else there's something else going on there's stuff that's buried here and um it was like this cycle of depression that I had been going through really most of my life because of this way that I was living from the outside in, um, it was just breaking open. I couldn't do it anymore. My flesh was falling apart. And um, God gave me the opportunity to to let go, to totally and completely let go. It was very difficult because I was holding on so tight. I was trying to maintain my way of life and the expectations that others had for me and all of these things so much that it really took a, a period of some time, I think a year or two, of God intentionally inviting me to let go and me just clinging so tightly to the last broken pieces of my flesh and my way of doing life. And um, actually, there was a, um, an outreach event here in Korea, and I was trying to bring a bunch of students to, to that event, and then 
the venue was full. And so I had this whole group of students who were committed to coming and who I so wanted to hear the message of what was going to be spoken. Actually, it was Ravi Zacharias who was here. And I tried everything. I called every pastor that I knew. I tried to find, can, how can I get some more tickets to be able to bring these students? And finally, I was sitting in my living room floor in Seoul, and nothing that I could do, all of my efforts, it wouldn't work. And I finally just said, God, see me. And um, I kept thinking and thinking and just kind of gave up. And we made a plan. One person was going to go with my iPad and a Wi-Fi router, and we were going to live stream it to my house and bring the students to my house. So the day of the event, I was cooking for the students who were coming over when I got a phone call from a U.S. number, and somehow someone had heard, and um, they said, I'm managing this trip, and I will let everybody in that you bring just use my name at the door. So it was so amazing, and I called everyone, and I said, get in a taxi. We have to go. And so we all got there. We all got in. We all got seats. And at some point, um, I got this text message, and it was from that same number, and the message was not intended for me. It was about the details of the event. Let's skip to question five or something like that. And I messaged back, I think I'm the wrong person. And the person who had messaged me realized, oh, you're that, that person. So she said, can you come sit by me? Okay. So she told me where to go. And I went and sat down. And as I sat down beside her, which was very close to the front of the auditorium, I had been up somewhere in the back. Um, I saw the sign on the seat in front of me and it said VIP seating. And then she leaned over to me and she said, do you want to meet Ravi afterwards? And I realized, you see me. God is so faithful in the middle of all of my striving to somehow do something for God. He saw my heart. And his love for me was not deterred by my ugly flesh efforts. He saw my heart and he loved me. Anyway, Romans seven twenty four. I identify so much with it. Oh, what a miserable person I am. That's how I was living. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I've often heard and thought and I think even said, Jesus died on the cross for us so that we don't have to die. But I think it's more accurate to say, Jesus died on the cross with us to show us how to die to our old way of living, crucify the flesh, and come with him into resurrection life. Amen? Jesus walks us through the valley of the shadow of death, through this cross, dying to ourselves, to our ways of manipulating things, to our sight instead of the faith life. And he invites us as we are united with him in death to also be united with him in resurrection life, even now. 
So I had those panic attacks, and um, it was actually through a Ravi Zacharias quote that I saw online that I got connected with someone who could help me to work through this process and to experience um, this God life freedom that I'm talking about today. And so there was a period of months of, of discovering all of the flesh patterns and stuff that was hiding the truth, the reality of who God made me to be, and the reality of how good this gift of salvation is. So at some point, I had this very terrible weekend. And in that weekend, what was so terrible is it was just totally the end of me. I realized my identity, the way I've been doing life, it has disintegrated. And there were a couple of kind of scary days. Can How do I live? It, it was almost as if I had this mask or like bodysuit that I had been living in my whole life. And the whole thing had crumbled. But I didn't intend to be living a fake life. I meant these things. I loved Jesus. And I was doing all of my efforts and striving and suppressing my emotions and trying to manage other people because I loved Jesus. But I was doing it from, from the outside in. And I didn't know, what, what do I do now? Now that this doesn't work anymore, now that it's gone, now that I have died. And then I discovered that the person that Jesus made me to be was still here. And that now his life could actually overflow because that all those walls that I had built and managing and maintaining the world the way I thought it should be were broken away. And so there was a freedom for him to overflow my life. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and for you. The person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You can put that third slide. He causes his life once again, his spirit joined together with my spirit on the inside to resurrect us. And our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit within us. I remember the day that there was some kind of problem and all of this had happened and I was looking at that problem and trying to figure out and feeling all this emotion. How do I control this situation? And God just, from the inside, showed me I didn't have to do that. In fact, it made no sense for me to do that. And I just surrendered, totally surrendered, and said, Lord, I need you to need you. Like, I am so dependent on you that I need you to remind me that I need you and to live just depending on you instead of just continually going back to the old way of life. 
We have this option. We read earlier in Romans 8, living according to the flesh and according to the spirit. And so now we have the choice. We, we have those old patterns, those old, old ways of thinking and acting. But we also have access to the life of God and to the ways of God and to the mind of Christ. And now we have that choice to live by the spirit. Our new life in Jesus flows out from the inside. I remember after I prayed that prayer, God, I need you to even need you. Like, I'm so dependent on you. Help me to live dependent on you. The next morning I woke up with such peace. All my life before that, peace was something that sometimes I got some and I tried to hold. But that morning, peace was something that was enveloping me and I was covered and carried and held by his peace that is what God has made available to us that from the inside out we could receive life and peace and hope that no one can take away even when there's still stuff going on outside even when Um, maybe things look worse than they ever have. I have the choice to remember now that when I live from what I see on the outside, that's death. But I don't have to go down that path because I can look to Jesus who lives on the inside and I can make the decision, Jesus, let's go together. And he's so faithful. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you have received Jesus, if you have believed that he died, And he rose from the dead. He is God. And you have shared with him. You've said, Jesus, I I invite you. I invite you to become the Lord, the leader of my life. Not just Lord, but actually, Jesus, I invite you to become my life. So that it is no longer I who live trying to please you, my Lord. But it is you who lives in me and through me. When we receive him, he gives us the right to become children of God. And you know, identity does not come from performance. Identity doesn't come from what we do. Identity does not come from outside of us. Identity comes from birth. And we were reborn into the family of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I love one translation. It says that his spirit touches our spirit and we know who we are and who he is. We are his children. He is our father. And everything is changed. Praise the Lord. I had been so focused on 
doing something for God and pleasing him and, and loving him with my effort. And what I discovered was I'm his temple. I'm his home. I had a roommate in college who was a morning person, and I was not a morning person. And so every morning she got up and she cooked a full breakfast, and she banged all the cabinets and all the dishes, and her cereal spoon hit the bowl while I was trying to sleep. And sometimes she offered me breakfast, and I did not want breakfast. And I think that sometimes the life I was trying to live for Jesus was kind of like that. I'm his home, and he is so desiring just to be with me, to be at rest together. But I was so busy and loud and noisy trying to do something for him when all that he wanted was for me to just sit down, to just be together, to just look in his eyes And now I've discovered that even as I live, even as he's living through me, even as I'm standing here today or driving or working on something, I am still his home. And it has become my one priority, my one calling, my whole life to live with him, to know that he is living through me, to rest in the reality that Jesus and I are one. We are together and this life is not mine anymore, but his. Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. Without Jesus, we live our lives reaching outside and trying to find something to satisfy this empty, dead void in our souls, the, the spirit that is, that, is not, that is dead. And we're trying and trying, and whether it's through things that we do in the world that, that we would sometimes be tempted, just label bad, or whether it's through things that look so good. Um, through church activities. We're just trying and trying to satisfy this emptiness from the outside in. But what Jesus did was more than just say, oh, you're thirsty, here's a drink. Instead, he said, oh, you've been living this thirsty life. Let me put a fountain inside of you so that not only would you be full and overflowing, that you could actually share this living water with those around you. And so the overflow becomes the source of ministry. Instead of trying to do something for God, as I live with him, he does something through me. And as I'm honest about the emotions that I feel and the anger and the sadness and the all range of, of good and bad and difficult and deep feelings, it turns out that that gives me the opportunity to fellowship with him. It's really amazing to know that Jesus understands us. And in recent years, it has become amazing to me to realize that through all of these sufferings, that we can fellowship with him, that we can begin to understand him too. And as we sit there and we share those emotions together with him, there's such unity, such fellowship, such closeness, such intimacy.
He's so good. He's so, so good. I used to think that the purpose of emotions were to just point out to me that there's a problem to be fixed, and then I needed to fix it. And that so did not work. It didn't work at all. But now I have the opportunity to realize that emotions are the opportunity to have a conversation and to connect with God and with people deeply. I don't have to hide that. That's part of God's glory revealed in us. It's how we're made in his image so that we can connect with him and one another. When you look at the book of Psalms, which is a hymnal, a worship song book, we see a wide range of emotions. For David, worship included saying, I am so angry, have vengeance on my enemies. And it included these songs of, God, you're so good, you are so great. And it included these songs of, How, why are you so downcast, my soul? How, I, even these almost just, Such moments of desperation, all of it is worship. Romans 12 invites us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. This is our reasonable worship. All that I have within me, I give to you, and that is my worship. So now when I'm upset, I don't think, okay, I need to try to push this aside so that I can focus on God this morning and worship him and sing a song. But instead, I worship from the place of, God, I'm so upset. And sometimes my worship is just tears. Sometimes my worship is just anger. And I give it to him. And he receives it. And he is pleased. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds as what he's doing on the inside overflows to the outside. So when I came here, I think the second time last summer, um, is I was driving on the way here. I just felt like God spoke something to me. He said, you have my undivided attention. And that meant so much to me. So much to me. Um, Going back and looking, I've sort of given you this view of my life. And when I tried to do it my way and the wonderful freedom that God has given me from me. And from my way. Um, But I think very early on, some of my ideas came from the people that um, would have been my caregivers. some Some people who were really important to me. Maybe they were dealing with some stuff. And so I didn't have their undivided attention. And maybe a lot of my efforts came from me looking at that situation and living from the outside what I saw there instead of from the inside, the reality that Jesus was with me. And from that outside view, feeling that I was not seen, building a life where I didn't even say the things, I could not be heard, 
There was so much loneliness, really, and fear. And as God has invited me to, into a new season, uh, as Pastor Young Ho mentioned, there's some new things. As God has invited me into that, there's a, a picture that I think can explain so clearly. That same morning when I felt like the Lord said to me, you have my undivided attention. When I got here, um, there was this amazing worship time. And, and actually, um, one of your founding pastors was here and was speaking about um, some things that are going on. And it was just an affirmation for me that God was saying, yes, I see you. And yes, I am calling you into these new things. And you can go without fear because I'm watching you. And um, after the service, there was this kind of lunch time. And there was a toddler. And this, this child was uh, standing with, with his feet facing the door where some other children were outside playing. And his head turned this way to look to his dad. And he was trying to get his dad's attention and kind of like, ah, kind of... Because it was clear he wanted to go and play. But he wanted to make sure he was going to be okay, that he was seen, and that, that his dad was going to take care of him, that his dad was approving him and affirming him. And eventually his dad came and they went together. And I believe that when Jesus said, you have my undivided attention, and when he says that to you this morning, you have my undivided attention, that's the message from God to you. We can be confident and we can go. And whether it's some big changes that are happening or it's just continuing and where we are tomorrow, whatever challenges that may hold, we can go with confidence knowing he is in us and he goes with us. He sees us. He hears us. I won't tell the story now, but I just share the snippet. And if you want to, you can go in Genesis and read yourself. But Um, Hagar had an experience with God, basically where he said, you have my undivided attention. And this is what she said. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me.